Well, uh, hello everyone. I am Lorenzo Brown and I am the executive director of the Is Able Center located here in Birmingham, Alabama. And I would like to thank uh, Alabama Care and Alexander Vibes for giving me an opportunity to uh, go live with you guys today. Um, and so I am so excited to be here today. And so today I just want to uh, share a few things with you guys today. Uh, what I want to talk about today is I want to talk about um, uh, my uh, personal journey that led up to the uh, starting of the Is Able Center, um, as well as about the services that we offer and how individuals can take advantage of those services, how they can get them involved with, with what we are doing here at, um, at the center. And so uh, as we go along, uh, if you have like uh, any questions or any comments that you would like to put inside of the chat, uh, please do so because I would love to respond uh, to those comments, to those questions and interact with you as we go along today uh, so let's get started hey Sarah how you doing so glad you're on with us today so um, when I was 17 years old I was shot and a bullet went in through the front of my neck launched inside my spinal cord and um, instantly paralyzed me from my chest down to my feet and when I awoke for the first time, I'm surrounded by doctors and nurses and, you know, tubes are stuck everywhere. I mean, that you can stick a tube and they had already performed surgery on me and placed a trach inside of my throat. And it was attached to a ventilator that was plugged in the wall. So I'm being kept alive by a machine. The doctor's standing right over me. He's looking down at my eyes and he asked me, do you know what's wrong with you? And I tried to open my mouth and talk and I couldn't because of the trach that was in my throat. And so I moved my lips and I replied, yes. He asked what? I said, I've been shot. He said, yeah, yeah, I know you've been shot, but do you know what's wrong with you? What? He said, you're paralyzed. Paralyzed? For how long? Then he replied and said these exact words. I'm afraid you're going to be paralyzed for the rest of your life. You will never walk again. You will never talk again. As a matter of fact, you're going to be a vegetable for the rest of your life. You will never have any quality of life ever again. These are the words that I heard from a doctor at 17 years old when I awoke for the first time after being shot. Tears are rolling down the side of my face. And he just turned and walked away. He didn't try to offer me any words of encouragement, any comfort at all. He went to the waiting room and repeated those exact same words to my family and recommended that they pull the plug on my life. And what he said to them was, it wouldn't be fair for you all to let him live like this. In other words, what he was really saying was that your child is better off dead than disabled. 
and it's so sad but there really is a great portion of society that feels that way about individuals that live with a disability they don't see the value in the life of an individual who lives with a disability they don't see the possibilities they don't see the potential and all they see is what has been lost um, what they cannot do how they cannot learn and how difficult it's going to be for them to be included or accepted in society and so they just automatically write off an individual with a disability and so when those words were said to my family my mother replied and said I really don't care how he has to live. I'm not going to put a plug on his life. So I really thank God for a mother's love. There, I don't really know if there's a a love on the face of this earth that is more powerful than the love of a love of a mother. But I'm not going to lie to you. Her decision not to pull the plug on my life uh, began the journey a long journey of a lot of pain for me a lot of things i had to learn a lot of things that i had to figure out um, i really had to learn how to live life all over again and it was a very very difficult journey and it started out at spain rehabilitation here in birmingham alabama and there i am i'm, I'm paralyzed from my chest down to my feet um, i can't feel anything from my chest down um, I have a, a trach inside of my throat and I'm, I'm, you know, being slowly weaned off of the ventilator so that I can learn how to breathe on my own again. And uh, for, you know, um, about 30 minutes every day, uh, they would cap off the, the trach that was inside of my throat so that I could learn how to talk again, with, you know, and learn how to breathe again without being on the ventilator. And um, and they would gradually wing me off of that over time. Um, you know, I had to have splints on my arms, you know, uh, boots on my, my feet to keep from getting sores. And, you know, um, somebody had to come and turn me every two hours to keep from getting pressure sores on my, my bottom and on my legs. And, you know, and I had to, you know, have catheters placed inside of me and so that I can control my bladder and do, you know, suppositories so that I can control my bowels. And now somebody is, is giving me a bath and putting my clothes on and I'm being too fed. I mean, it was just a real painful journey. And I can remember being in therapy one day, physical therapy, and they had this long mirror and i could see my entire body in front of this mirror and it was the first time that i had looked in a mirror since i had been injured and when i looked in that mirror i was so skinny i was so frail i had lost 118 pounds i had dropped all the way down to 80 pounds it just looked like my body was just wasting away 
And I can remember thinking to myself in that moment how I I wish they had pulled the plug. How I wish I would have died when that bullet hit me. And that's how life is at times when you are in the heart of the pain, you know, in the middle of what you're going through. It's real difficult to see any future or, or, or a greater possibility beyond the pain that you're experiencing in that moment. And one of the greatest mistakes that individuals make is that they make a, a permanent, a, 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 a decision in the middle of pain you know, to to end their life because they think that this pain can never end, that life can never get better beyond this point. And so they they make a permanent decision in that moment to end their life. And so what happens is that they, they cut off their future. And not only do they cut off their future, but they cut off any future possibilities of anything greater occurring. And I can remember thinking in that moment that I wanted my life to end. But had I made a decision in that moment to end my life, uh, my life wouldn't be where it is today. Um, none of the great things that I am being used to do today would have occurred. And I'm, I'm going to share a little bit more about that as we go along. But as I was released to come home from Spain rehab, things didn't get any better. I came home to a house that had no running water, had no working appliances. Um, we literally had one hot plate that my mom plugged up in the room. And that hot plate served as my heater. We cooked on it. We sterilized things on it. As a matter of fact, my mom hung a blanket up over the door in my room so that the, the heat from the hot plate could keep my room warm. And we would tote buckets of water from the next door neighbor's house, you know, so that we could cook on this hot plate and sterilize my catheters. I mean, things were really, really bad. And I had a 13-year-old brother who was my primary caregiver. He would give me my baths in the morning and rush off to school and rush home from school in the afternoons to make sure I ate and different things like that. And it's, it's just was a very terrible situation for someone in my condition to be in. And finally, as much as I did not want to do this, Remember calling my little brother in the room one day, and I said to him, Alonzo, I need you to walk down the street to the telephone booth, and I need you to call DHR to come and get me out of this house. And I'll never forget the look that was on my little 13-year-old brother's face. He looked at me with tears in his eyes, and he said to me, but if you leave, 
who will I have? I was all he had and he was all I had. And in that moment, it was difficult, but I knew that if I stayed in that house that I was going to die. So I said to my, my little brother, I said, if you don't make the call, I'm going to die. And it must have been the longest walk of a 13-year-old kid's life, knowing that he was about to make a call that was going to take away his big brother. And he made the call. And within an hour, DHR was surrounding my house with the ambulance and police and they was pulling me out of the house and they took me to a hospital in Selma, Alabama, where I was there for 30 days. And to my surprise, about 530 that afternoon, my dad walked in the room. And I was so shocked because I had not seen my dad the entire time. We really didn't have a, a great relationship prior to me becoming injured. So I wasn't expecting him to show up. But for those 30, those 30 days that I was there, every day that I was there around 536 o'clock in the afternoon, my dad would show up. And it had became the highlight of my day. We talked, we laughed. I mean, it was the closest we had ever been. And in that moment, I started to feel hope. And it was the first time that I felt any type of hope that maybe things can get better. And what I thought was, my dad is going to take me out of this place and he's going to take me home with him. You know, he has the means to do so. He owns his own trucking company and He's not going to let me, you know, go to a nursing home. He's going to take me home with him and care for me. But on the last day that I was there, i never forget it. March 15th, 1995. My dad stood up over my hospital bed. I'm 18 years old. I'm laying flat on my back. I'm his oldest son. And he looked me directly in my eyes and he said to me, son, no matter how much you love something or someone, there comes a time when you have to let go. And he turned and he walked out of the room and he never came to see me again. It was like somebody took a needle and stuck it inside of a balloon. It just deflated me, deflated all the, of the hope out of me. And let, let, me, let me just say this. There may be someone listening right now who is going through a, a, a difficult situation in your life and, and you feel like it's hopeless. Let me tell you something, there's hope. There is hope. No matter how hopeless the situation appears to be right now, there is hope for you. And you may feel like, you know, I really don't even have a purpose right now. Well, let me let me ask you this. Do you have a pulse? 
Because if you have a pulse, you still have a purpose. It may take a little time for you to discover that purpose, but you got a purpose. So the very next day, March 16, 1995, they took me out of the hospital, Sam, Alabama, transferred me to a nursing home in Tuskegee, Alabama. I'm hundreds of miles away from anything that I knew or anyone that I knew. I don't have any family. I don't have any money. I don't have any connections. I don't know anyone. And I'm 18 years old, laying flat on my back in a nursing home, surrounded by elderly people, the majority of them in the senile stages of their lives. And most of them, you know, they had already lost their memory. They have entered back and, you know, into that childlike state. And so I could constantly hear them screaming, you know, I want my mama, I want my mama. I'm waking up to the smells of feces and urine every single morning. I'm being abused and neglected, severely abused and neglected. You know, I, I still right now to this day cannot fully extend my arms because of the neglect and abuse that I received in a nursing home. And I have scars all over my body from the heel sores that was once there. I mean, it was a terrible situation. I would go days at a time without even getting a bath. You know, uh, it, it was terrible. There was even one particular time when I had not had a bath all day long. And, and I remember hitting the call light and, and I must have asked three or four times, can I get a bath? And, and the aide walked down to my room and he burst in my room and he screamed, you're not the only SOB in here. And he grabbed the pillow and he was about to put it on my face and smother me. Right when another aide walked in the room and he pretended like he was pulling the pillow, the pillow under my head to, to, to make me comfortable. Terrible situation. Appeared to be so hopeless. And all I could think in that moment is, how can a loving God let me live like this? And I can remember screaming as loud as I could, God, I hate you. What kind of loving God would let me live like this? And all I wanted to do was die. Matter of fact, it was my, my primary prayer was, I hope when I go to sleep tonight that I do not awake in the morning. I didn't see any future. Then something happened. I'm in bed one night and I'm thinking about love, L-O-V-E. And I'm thinking about how backwards I felt love was in that moment and how I felt like a burden on the world and how I felt like nobody loved me. And I'm just thinking love is so backwards. This is not how it's supposed to be. And so in that moment, as I'm thinking that, I, I, I spelled the word love backwards, E-V-O-L. And I thought to myself in that moment, those are the very first four letters in the word evolution. And right when I thought that, I thought to myself, evolution means to bring about a change. And I kid you guys not, I heard the audible voice of God in that moment say to me, son, I had to change you to show you that I love you. Then he said to me, you're going to have to learn to live again 
before you learn to walk again. Totally different from any the way that I was thinking because in that moment, what I was thinking to myself was the only way that I could live, the only way that I could have any type of life is if I can learn to walk. But here God is saying to me, no, you're going to have to learn to live before you learn to walk. Totally different. And in that moment, my entire perspective about the way that I was viewing life changed. And I said to myself, I'm going to start getting out of this bed and learning how to live. And I can remember getting out of the bed the next day. And instead of eating in my room, I went to the cafeteria to eat. I never did that. And then, you know, they would have game night, you know, and at the nursing home game night, you know, maybe bingo or something like that. And so I went to the game night and there I am, you know, 18 years old. And I'm playing bingo with 80 and 90 year old people, you know, and, you know, when they take they would take us outside of the facility and, you know, it would be a treat, you know, to go to the to the local, you know, grocery store or something. And, you know, and but I, I started doing these things. Now, it was not the normal life or activities for an 18-year-old who was in their right mind. But it was what I needed to do in that moment to learn to live again. And, and the point that I'm trying to make to you guys is that life may not be what you want it to be in this moment. But you got to start where you are and you have to use what you have so that you can learn to live again. Your perspective about the way that you are ruining your situation has to change before your life changes. See, as long as you're thinking that it has to be a certain way before you can live, it has to be a certain way before you can have purpose, it has to be a certain way before you can have joy. You're going to always stay stuck. But the moment you start doing what you can do with what you have, that's when you start discovering life. That's when you start feeling joy. That's when you start discovering purpose. So I was doing these things. Then I began to see the Lord move in my life. There was this nursing instructor and she would bring her students up to the nursing home to do their clinicals. And at this time I had just turned 19 years old and many of her students were my age. And so it just created like this big buzz. You know, man, there's this guy our age that is in the nursing home. We've never seen anything like this before. And so the nursing instructor comes down to my room and she said, I come down to see what the buzz is all about. And so when she looked in my face, she was like, oh, now I see. How old are you? She asked. I said, I just turned 19 years old. She said, why are you here? I said, well, I was shot. 
She said, no, what, what are you doing here? I said, well, DHR placed me here. She said, no, no, I mean, where's your family? I said, well, my family is not able to care for me at this time. Then this lady asked me a question that forever changed my life. She asked me, well, what are you going to do? I said, what do you mean? She said, what are you going to do about getting out of here? Well, that thought had never changed across my mind. I thought that a nursing home is the place that you place people to spend the remainder of their days. So for the first time since I had become paralyzed, somebody looked at me and saw my potential. and challenged me on it. So I responded and I said to her, I don't know. So she said, well, let me go home and think about some things and I'll get back with you the next day. So the next day, this, this lady, she comes in and she's singing and she's opening up my shades and pulling the covers off of my head and I'm thinking to myself, man, this lady is crazy. And now that I think about it, she was. She was crazy enough to believe something that nobody else believed. She was crazy enough to see potential in a kid that was laying flat on his back paralyzed from his chest down to his feet, hundreds of miles away from anything he knew or anyone that he knew, had no money, had no connections, and she was crazy enough to look at me and believe that I had potential and that I had the possibility to do something great with my future. Let me tell you something. When you are going through something that appears to be hopeless. Yes, you got to be crazy enough to believe that you still can do something great. You got to have crazy like faith. You do. And sometimes you got to have another person that's crazy enough to believe it for you. And push you towards it. And see, that that's what I believe here at the Is Able Center, I, I'm just crazy enough to believe that everybody who walks through these doors, who, who wants to take advantage of the services that we provide, and if they if they, they want it, I'm crazy enough to believe that they can have it. I am. Because I've, I've seen the impossible happen. See, everybody has the potential to fly. Sometimes it just takes another person to believe in them so that they can fly. But this lady, she asked me in that moment, have you ever done public speaking before? I say, no, what do you mean? She said, I was thinking, that you can tell people about your story. And I think you can help a lot of people. 
And in doing so, I also think somebody will hear your story and will want to help you. She said, would you be interested in doing that? I said, well, I, I guess I've never done it before, but yes, I'll, I'll do it. So this lady set up an article with the Auburn Open Like a News and they came out, did a story on me, put me on the front page. It said, kid was shot at 17 years old. Would like to tell his story. All of a certain, I started getting calls from all around and I got an opportunity to, pe to, to speak at Tuskegee University to a group of occupational therapy students. And one of those students had did an internship with an organization called the Alabama Department of Rehabilitation Services. And I had never heard of that organization. And this student went back and told them about me. And they sent a counselor over to meet with me. And they began to work with me. They helped me get out of the nursing home in Tuskegee to a nursing home in Montgomery. From the nursing home in Montgomery to a transitional living unit here in Birmingham, Alabama. It had set on the, the, uh, the campus of the Lakeshore Foundation. And, and while I was there at this transitional living unit, I ended up going back, get my GED and starting college. And from there, I ended up getting my own place. It was just like life just began to just evolved. Change was truly taking place. All of those things that I went through, it, from that pain, birthed the purpose of the Is Able Center. And over the years, what I would do is that I would write down different ideas, you know, about things that the, the disabled community needed. And as an individual living with a disability, I had taken advantage of all of the, you know, services that were out there. And so I knew what was out there, but also as an individual living with, with a disability, I knew what I felt needed to be available. And so I would write down things over the years. I still got the notebook right now. As a matter of fact, I got some ideas in there that I haven't even brought to the table yet. And it's going to be exciting when we do bring those things to the table. But I would write down these ideas. And all I needed was, uh, was a few things to, to come together for those ideas to become reality. Number one, I needed money. <laughs> Number two, I needed people. And so all of a sudden, all of that came together and we were able to open up the doors of the Is Able Center. It's a dream come true. So when we opened the doors, I began to, you know, uh, initiate a few of the ideas that I wrote down. So one of the, the, the first ideas that I wanted to do was 
employment services for people with disabilities. And so when we initially started out, we started out as an employment network for the Social Security Administration. We we uh, had a contract with the Social Security Administration. We did that. But then um, one of my dreams was to always work with the Alabama Department of Rehabilitation Services for our employment services. And I would always think to myself how exciting that would be, you know, to uh, have a contract with the exact same organization that, you know, worked with me and, and helped me get out of the nursing home and really helped me got to the point to do what I'm doing today. How exciting would that be? But a lot of things had to take place in order for that to happen. And so one of the things that we had to do is we had to become what they call car for credit. And so I began to set out on the journey of becoming car for credit. It took about a year and a half to get this accreditation. Um, it's a very, very challenging process. Uh, but the, 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 the accreditation really pushes you to have an organization that operates with excellency. And so we had to have this in place to get the contract with, with the Alabama Department of Rehabilitation Services. And so when we got the car for accreditation, um, I remember setting up a meeting with the Alabama Department of Rehabilitation Services and, you know, and sharing with them that we was car for accredited and we wanted to, you know, uh, partner with them to provide employment services um, for their clients. And I remember when they they accepted us and they opened the door. It was such a beautiful thing. And I'm thinking to myself, wow. This would have not occurred had my perspective not changed that night. Here I am now partnering with the exact same organization that helped me got out of the nursing home. And so we provide employment services in partnership with the Alabama Department of Rehabilitation Services. And so they refer individuals to us for uh, employment purposes. And so let's say for instance, if you are an individual uh, with a disability or uh, you know of someone with a disability that is interested you know, in finding employment in the community, so they will go to their counselor at the Alabama Department of Rehabilitation Services and say, you know, I would like to work with Lorenzo Brown at the Isable Center. And depending on what category you, you fall in, now they have two categories. They have one that is called supported services and they have one that is called career services. We provide uh, the career services. So if you fall up under the umbrella of career services, you can, uh, we can, uh, get your referral from your counselor and we can assist you in finding um, meaningful uh, employment within the community. So that's one service that we provide. But then uh, another service that we provide is called uh, uh, social development. And the reason why I came up with this idea was when I first became injured, um, I struggled learning how to socialize with people again. Life wasn't the change, wasn't wasn't the same for me anymore. And now whenever I went out 
I'm in a wheelchair, so now people are staring at me. Um, I got to wear a leg bag. I got to fear the possibility of, you know, my bowels involuntarily moving on me. And, and I got to deal with people asking me the question, how did you end up in a wheelchair? All of these different things, you know, I, had to, I, 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 I was so socially undeveloped. And so, and I learned that a lot of individuals with disabilities are. And when you are socially undeveloped, when you don't develop and you don't really know how to socialize with other individuals, other people within the community, and then you really can't advance and reach the full potential that you can reach. And so on every Monday, we do what we call social engagement and development. And so literally what we do is we just have a, a room filled with individuals with all types of uh, disabilities and we play all type of engaging and entertaining activities and with the sole purpose for individuals to become more socially developed. And then also uh, we provide support groups and we pro provide two specific support groups. On Mondays, we do a depression support. On Wednesdays, we do a grief support. Uh, me as an individual, I suffered with depression as well as grief. And so do a lot of other individuals with disabilities. And so what I've come to learn is that support groups, they really save lives. Um, and when you can get individuals, you know, in the room with other people who are struggling the way that they are struggling, all of a sudden people they begin to open up because they are around people with like issues and, you know, and, and like struggles. And so uh, they open up and they can, you know, share their struggles and their issues and support one another. Then we all do also do life skills classes. So every Thursday we do life skills classes and we have a, a different theme every month. And so, um, this month for the month of June, our theme is financial management. And so every Thursday, we're going to do a class that is um, around financial management. So uh, last week we did budgeting. So we worked with everybody to fill out uh, their own individual budget to teach them how to be mindful of their money, uh, to know what they have and where it's going and how to manage that properly. And so we'll do another class coming up this Thursday around financial management. And uh, lastly, on Fridays, we uh, we teach computer training um, here at the center. We have four um, uh, accessible computer labs. And the way that I came up with the ideal about the accessible computer labs is when I was in college, I didn't have access to a computer. And so I would go to the library, but when I got to the local library, guess what I, I couldn't do? I couldn't use the computer that was at the local library because it was not accessible for me. You know, it was just the standard computer, standard desk. And so here at the center, all of our desks are um, adjustable. We can raise them to any height, lower them to any height. Um, our computers um, are, are 
very large screen computers uh, so that individuals with low vision can, can view them really well. Uh, there, we also have keyboards that are called keys that you can see. Uh, also for individuals with low vision, all of our mouses are, are trackballs so that individuals that have a little or no movement in their hands can still work it. Uh, the mouse, um, uh, we have voice activated computers. We have uh, eye track computers, computers that you can control totally with your eyes. Um, we have both. Uh, we have both Mac as well as uh, PC computers. Um, we have computers for people who are totally uh, visually impaired. We have programs for that. Uh, so we can really accommodate uh, pretty much any type of disability uh, that an individual have. We can accommodate it because we have the technology here to, to do that. And so... Um, if you are interested in uh, taking advantage of the services that we provide here at the Isable Center, uh, we provide all of these services at no cost. And so uh, there will be no financial hardship on you in any type way to take advantage of these services. So what I say, if you want it, you can have it. We want you to have it. We, If you want help, we want to help you. We want you to know that that, that you have a great future and we want to help you reach that future. And so um, you can visit our website at www.isable.org. That's I-S-A-B-L-E.org. That's www.isable.org. And on there, you can get all of the information that you need and about uh, the various services that we provide, uh, the times uh, that those services are occurring and, and how you can, uh, can take part in it. And uh, if you would like, you can also call the center at 205-777-4017, uh, 205-777-4017. And uh, we will be more than happy to take your call and um, and uh, discuss uh, anything that you would like to discuss about the services that we provide. And so, guys, I really uh, um, hope that uh, our time today inspire you uh, also to change your perspective to see uh, that you have a great a great future in store for you, and also. Um, I hope that um, it also enlighten you about what's available for you in the community and the different services that are, are available to assist you in reaching your future. So thank you guys so much for spending time with me today. Uh, once again, I wanna thank Alabama Care and Alexander Bynes for giving me an opportunity to share with you all on this platform. Uh, I look forward to, to being with you again uh, the second Monday of next month. Uh, thank you all so much. Have a great day.